This afternoon, we're going to be continuing in our study in the book of Hebrews, continuing today in chapter 12. Uh, Let's hear again from the first 17 verses once again so we can have context. Our focus today is going to be in verse uh, 15. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all this all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Our Father, we have heard this, your holy, righteous word. and We pray that you would take your word and uh, mold us and shape us according to the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, utterly dependent upon you as needy, that you would feed us from your word today. We pray that our faith would be increased and strengthened by the work of your spirit using your word. Would you help us all to be attentive and engaged? We ask our Lord that you would guide this preacher, chain him to the truth of your word so that he might freely declare truth and do it with clarity, with accuracy, with understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As now in Hebrews chapter 12, as we've been learning, we've been talking about growing in the greater than. Uh, the greater than, of course, being Jesus, who is uh, the greatest revelation, who is greater than the angels, who's greater than Moses, uh, who is greater than the priesthood, who is greater, who is the greater than all the sacrifices. And then we learned how we need to hold on to this one who is the greater than. And now we've been learning about what it is to grow in the greater than from <coughs> chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, through the end of the book. It opened up in chapter 12 with this idea, there's a race that we're running. And in this race, we are called upon to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, because of the joy set before him, endured all the agonies of the cross on account of that which he was waiting for, knowing it was coming. And so likewise, we know something great is coming. So we have every reason to keep running the race and to drop all the things that weigh us down and hold us back, the sin and all the various different things that turn our attention away from Jesus. And we also saw the (coughs) fatherly discipline of the Lord, that the way our Lord trains us, discipline is not just a matter of punishment, 
but it's a matter of training. And it does that does include corrective discipline, but it's also formative discipline. Any parent who raises their children it uses both uh, training and exercises for the purpose of forming them, as well as training and exercises and discipline for the purpose of correcting errant behavior. And our Lord does that, but that discipline is, is something that should be of great comfort to us because it shows that God is our Father. And it, is, it affirms our faith. It affirms the Father's love for us. And so that's something that we can find great comfort in. And then we saw that were two exhortations from that to strengthen, uh, to uh, lift up the drooping hands and to strengthen the weak knees and to make straight paths. That is to keep uh, holding on to Christ and moving forward. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then we saw last time we were in Hebrews in verse fourteen. Uh, we saw two exhortations that had the same command, telling us we need to pursue something. Pursue two things to pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord and to pursue peace with all men. When we looked at the idea of the holiness, it's not just this generic idea of some sort of esoteric holiness, but rather it is the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What kind of holiness is needed to see the Lord? Absolute perfect holiness. And we are called upon to pursue that holiness. It is a pursuit that never ends in this life because we never get there in this life. But that is the MO of the Christian life now. It is that of pursuing holiness from a place of resting in Christ, knowing the good thing that he has done for us. And along that line, pursuing peace with all men. Instead of being those who are always looking for a fight and face it up, a lot of us Christians seem to be always looking for a fight always looking for an argument in which we can get into. <clears throat> but rather pursuing peace with all men. Being peaceable, that doesn't mean laying down for the truth, but being gentle even in our correction and in our exhortations. <clears throat> and now we are moving on to what is an expansion of that exhortation. It's expanding upon the idea uh, we could say it's amplified, giving some amplifications. You know what an amplification is? It takes a sound and makes it louder. That's what an amplifier does, is it takes a signal and makes it louder. And so now he's amplifying the idea or clarifying or giving further ideas on specifically what I mean for you in terms of pursu- of all this, of running this race of lifting up drooping hands of pursuing holiness. Now let's look at these ideas. And there's four ideas that are being addressed in verses 15 and 16. The first is, see to it that no one among you fails to obtain the grace of God. That is falling away or falling short of the grace of God. The second one is, see to it that uh, among you, no bitter root raises up that will only cause problems and defile people. See to it that there is no one among you who is sexually immoral and that there is no one among you who is godless like Esau. So there are four different ideas that are going on there. Today, we're simply going to do deal with the first two and the latter two next time. Again, as I started developing these thoughts and looking at them, I realized we're going to have to break it up. So, but first of all, we have this exhortation of seeing to it, seeing to it. And when we look at this in the original language in the Greek text, uh, our, our temptation reading simply uh, from the ESV and other translations is to look at this as an independent command. And it's not that the translators are not thinking right. It's just an extremely difficult way, difficult thing to translate. Because if you translate the way you see it in the Greek text, it's going to be like a really long sentence. And try following a really long sentence. So to try to make it readable. Uh, but it's not really an independent command. It's not saying, pursue peace with all men, uh, pursue, pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, and pursue peace with all men. And, th- and then adding another command, okay, now the next command, see to it. Rather, these in the, in the Greek are ing words. So hear it this way. 
Pursue, pe- pursue, ho- pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord and peace with all men, seeing to it that. So you hear there's a difference going on there. It's expanding upon that idea, saying specifically, let's look at these types of things. <clears throat> it's, an, it's dependent upon the previous things and does not stand alone. But as I mentioned, it's very difficult to translate that without ending up with a really long, clumsy, hard-to-remember, and hard-to-say sentence. And that's one of the things with ancient Greek when you read it. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, all the way through verse uh, 15 is one sentence. There's just, it's one long sentence. And so, and Translating that to English is not the easiest thing to do in the world. Also, when we look at this, our temptation might be to read it this way, to read it in terms of simply me watching out for myself and you watching out for yourself. Watch out for yourself that you don't fall short of the grace of God. Or I need to watch out for myself that I don't fall short of the grace of God. And while we must indeed watch ourselves, this is written to be read by a group of believers. And notice the language that it says here. See to it, to the group, see, uh, watching or seeing to it that not, not any single one of you or um, that anyone among you, another way of saying that, falls short of the grace of God or, uh, or that a bitter root grows up among yourselves or that there is anyone sexually, immor- sexually immoral among yourselves or that there is anyone who is godless among yourselves. We often have the idea that the only thing that we need to be concerned with is that we ourselves are finishing the race and running well, regardless of how or what our brother and sister in Christ are doing with regards to their walk in Christ. Um, anyone who has played a team sport knows that if you were to say that to, in front of your coach, that all that matters is that I do my job well. Who cares what everyone else does? Anyone who's played a team sport knows that's probably going to you're probably going to end up getting laps from your coach for saying that because in turn because it requires the team supporting one another and helping each other or in the military trying telling that to a platoon of soldiers. <coughs> Excuse me. It is a matter of doing things and engaging in the community together to watch out for ourselves so that we can watch out for one another. So that we can watch out for one another. We'll talk more about that in uh, just a little bit. But you see, the Christian life is not fundamentally just about me getting mine without regard to you getting yours. It is not simply about me getting mine without, without regard to you getting yours. Here's the nature of life in the church. My spiritual good and health is wrapped up and bound in your spiritual health and good and vice versa. We are wrapped up together because we are united together in Christ Jesus. Let's put it this way. I've never been through a military boot camp, but in the mid-2000s, I did go through a missionary boot camp patterned after military boot camp. And every day there were exercises and PT, and sometimes there were long runs. And on one particular run, there was a a girl who was part of of our group who fell out. Uh, She fell down, and she didn't have any more energy, and she was throwing up. And so the, the PT instructors took that as an opportunity to give us a lesson. We were told that none of us could finish the run until she crossed the finish line. And so we stood around motivating her and exhorting her, saying, You can do it! You can do it! Get up! Keep going! You can do it! You can do it! And I saw one of those PT instructors put his head up and roll his eyes. And he said, let us show you. Together they picked her up and the four of them made a chair out of their hands and picked her and put, put, put her on that chair they made and ran her across the finish line. 
Similar, similar, on a similar occasion, on a run, we were told that no one is finished until we are all finished. When some folks got to the end, the leader said, why are you stopping? No one is finished until you're all finished. And they said, go back and finish with your teammates. <clears throat> See, no one gets left behind in as much as we are able to help our brothers and sisters and move them along. Other, obviously, we cannot force people to do things, but we must exor- make every effort to ensure that we leave no one behind. John Chrysostom, a fourth century pastor, says of this verse, As if they were traveling together on some long journey in a large company, he says, Take heed that no one be left behind. I do not seek this only, that you should arrive yourselves, but also that you should look diligently after the others, that no one, he says, fails to obtain the grace of God. He means the good things to come, the faith of the gospel, the best course of life, for they're all of the grace of God. Do not tell me it is only one that perishes. Even for one Christ died, have you no care for him for whom Christ died? That there's an exhortation here to watch out among one another. And while it is true, as we discussed uh, in previous weeks, it is true we are called to mine our own affairs and to live quality on matters where we have liberty of conscience. And there are plenty of areas where we have liberty of conscience as Christians, where we cannot bind one another to certain patterns, what types of clothes we wear, other than the fact that we wear clothes, or whether or not we shop at certain places, or whether or not we listen to certain types of music. We cannot bind one another's conscience to things upon which God has not clearly spoken. In fact, sometimes as Christians, we spend more time on that than the things God has actually clearly spoken about. We are to mind our own affairs, but on matters which are of life and death matters of faith, of love, of hope, of sanctification, we are to come alongside each other and spur one another on to good works. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 speaks to that. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That if we see a brother who is caught in something that we are called upon, and I mean as well as a sister, we are called upon as believers to come alongside them and help them, but such that we are not tempted in Galatians 6 and uh, it's a whole message that would be on that. It's more than just simply being tempted in the thing in which they're dealing with, but it's tempted to go towards pride and thinking highly of ourselves as somehow better or having uh, less need than them. Hebrews ten nineteen through 25. We've, we went through this uh, some months ago, but let us hear it afresh. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the last few years, I've seen Christians, including myself in different ways, cheering one another on in things which are really non-essential to the Christian faith, matters of conscience even, but yet turning a blind eye to false teaching that undermines the gospel and sinful anger in the name of cheering one another on in those previous things. That must not be so. We must watch out for one another in the things that truly, really matter. In fact, as we'll see shortly, It's not just bad to do, it's absolute 
poison for our souls. First of all, we are to see to it that no one among you falls short of the grace of God. When we look at this, one of the ways that we might be tempted to read this is to read it in terms of it's saying that ensure that none of you loses the grace of God. Ensure that none of you loses your salvation. Now, it is not saying that. We've looked at that. It's even the troubling pass, what we often call the troubling passage of Hebrews. They actually say the opposite of you can lose your salvation. They say the absolute opposite of those things. Another way of saying this is failing to obtain, as the ESV says it, or leaving behind or falling from. Is this, and as we said, this is not saying that we can lose our salvation. Remember uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, which we looked at, uh, that. Uh, when I was a young Christian, greatly troubled me, for I was concerned that I had blown it and had lost it for good. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then having fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and the end to be burned. Then he goes on to say, though we speak in this way, yet in, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In which he is stating, he's not stating that... <clears throat> A Christian who, <clears throat> once they become come to faith in Christ and they commit some sort of a sin, now they have lost it. Rather, it's saying this. It is impossible to renew something, renew somebody to something that to which they have not already been made new. It is impossible to go back and do all the beginning rites again if they themselves have not truly entered into Christ Jesus. Rather, Rather than being made new, rather than being renewed, they need to be made new. It is impossible to renew someone to who has not already been made new. Another way of saying it, it is impossible to revive somebody who has not already been vived. We speak often of revival. Said this city needs revival. I say, well, actually, the city needs vival. People need to come to faith in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 also tells us this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to to reach it. There, once again, entering his promised rest, which has to do in in this context with remembering that Jesus is the greatest. uh, Jesus is greater than Moses. And the temptation was to turn back to Moses and away from Christ. And here he is saying, keep holding on to Christ. And that's what the exhortation here is. See to it that everyone is continuing to hold on to Christ. To not turn to the old old ways. To not turn to themselves. To not turn to false gospels. In dealing with the first problem the original recipients were dealing with was returning to Judaism or messing with the gospel so as to rob it of its power, adding works or sacrifices in order to appease the persecutors. But if that were to happen, Christ is robbed of his power, at least in the way we talk. Christ's power has not actually been robbed. But we take the, any power that the God, we, we remove the power of the gospel when we do that, when we add things to Christ. So first, we watch out for one another so as to be true to the gospel of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Remember, in the book of Galatians, which we haven't been through as a church, at least with me, um, as pastor, I haven't been through with you. I'm sure somebody, if somebody else has, they did a fine job. Um, 
But when we look at the book of Galatians, he opens up with, um, unlike the other books of the New Testament, Paul often opens up with, I'm thankful to God for all these things to you. He jumps into the Galatians and the various different churches of Galatia. And to them, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians. Because they had forgotten the good things God had done for them and were turning now away from the grace of God and turning to a gospel, something that a gospel that has no power that he says is not another gospel of the same kind. It's not a slight change on the gospel, but it's a it's a different gospel of a different kind. Adding works that we need to perform to gain favor with God to it. But it says you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And here's, that's the idea that I believe is going on here in Hebrews is, is remember, keep Christ front and center in our minds and our hearts for Christ is the object of our faith. It is his life and his death, his resurrection and the hope of his return that is our very lifeblood. And so to keep Christ front and center. I've been reading a, a new book. Imagine that, me getting another book. Um, <laughs> I've been reading a a new book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Howard Marshall. Not the Howard Marshall from the 20th century, but Howard Marshall from the 17th century. You know, that's kind of where I think that's where I think Christianity was was like the perfect manifestation. I'm just kidding. But in the 17th century, he was a Puritan and he struggled greatly with a lot of different things. His assurance and with sanctification um, even as a pastor, he struggled with those things until he met uh, with the likes of John Owen and others who pointed him, said, look to Christ and hold on to him. And this whole thing on sanctification, every chapter is bathed in this. To pursue sanctification without knowing the reality and the magnificence and the centrality of Christ is to not pursue sanctification. It's to pursue something else. But this also means cultivating a community where we don't need to hide our faces or our failings. One of the now it is used the the oftentimes will greet people will greet one another and will say, "Hey, how you doing?" And we're simply using that as a greeting, and we'll often say, "Fine, and you." That's usually just used as used as a greeting. Sometimes if I say that, I have someone who says, uh, do you really mean that? Because fine and you, as a friend of mine once said, is the biggest lie in the country. But oftentimes we feel the need to hide our faces and our failings, to hide our struggles because I don't want them to really see because they'll think that I'm not really the good Christian that I try to paint myself as. When in reality, they're doing the very same thing. So we must cultivate a community where the Church of Jesus Christ should be the safest place in the world for someone to come and say they're struggling with something, to struggle with doubts, to struggle to express their struggle with their doubts whether or with sinful proclivities or emotional turmoil. There's any place that should be safe for that should be for the church of Jesus Christ. Because in so doing, what do we do? We say there's one who is far greater than all those things. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because if we hold on to. If we hold on to those things, we can take our eyes off of Christ Jesus. If we hold on to the. Uh, struggles and refuse to put them out in the open. Sometimes we even try to hide them from God. When in reality, we have the best friend we need before God, our Lord Jesus Christ. It also means in terms of watching out for ourselves so we can watch out for our brothers and sisters, tending to that, ten, uh, to tend to that which needs our faith. We looked at Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25 just a moment ago. We've mentioned several times in different contexts 
what we call the ordinary means of grace or the typical means that God uses to minister his truth to us, to minister the gospel to us, to minister his grace to us. One of a major part of that is the fellowship of the saints from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. There were three exhortations in there. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And third one, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. But at the end of that, there's a modifier, an amplifier, if you will, something that brings clarity to it, more clarity. And he says this, not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. If we withhold the fellowship of the saints from from ourselves, we are shooting ourselves in the feet. We might think, well, I'm burning plenty hot. I don't need that. What happens if you remove a coal out of the fire? If you've ever ever done any grilling, you always want to have the coals always touching each other. If you've got one that separates, it usually ends up going out before the others. God God increases and strengthens our faith by means of the preached word of God through the word spoken to us in baptism and the Lord's Supper, through the fellowship of the saints with one another, and through the prayers of the saints. If If we do not tend to those means, we are sabotaging ourselves. So how much more should we exhort one another to as much as, as, much as uh, God's providence allows us to, to tend to those means. Obviously, there's providential hindrances. We live in a Navy town. There's plenty of providential hindrances that people in the Navy experience that keep them from being able to uh, come and join in the Church of Jesus Christ with great regularity. Or illnesses, or various different other things that might happen. But inasmuch as we are able, we should tend to that because it is vital to our faith. And we should ensure that we are uh, encouraging one another in regards to that. But also, there's another way in which we can famish ourselves. And that is to to neglect God's word. Whether it's his preached word, or even reading his word. And that which for his word declares to us our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very easy to spend our time ingesting all sorts of things that don't benefit us. It's also sometimes enjoyable to ingest toxic things that only stir up anger and fear. How much time do we spend ingesting those kinds of things? Even things with regards to righteous things. There are ways of ingesting things that can do nothing more than stir up anger and fear. How much time do we spend ruminating about bogeymen? Upon what do we meditate? Those are all things in which we should be watching out for ourselves so we can watch out for one another. A famine investing in one another. And we must point one another to our Lord Jesus Christ. For if we look away from him, we are looking away from the grace of God. It's okay to be concerned about things, but we cannot be consumed by them. We must not chase after everything out there that concerns us. Especially those things that stir up fear and anger and lose sight of the grace of God. And, for, and remember this, as always, for people who love truth, such unholy distractions will not come in the form of that which is patently and obviously antichrist. For the one who loves truth, it's not going to come in that form. We're going to say, yeah, that's obviously wrong. Remember, the devil's insidious. He will come in ways that are deceptive, that come in devious forms that have appearance of truth and righteousness. All the more we need one another so that we don't fall short of the grace of God. And as always, for a, and as always, <clears throat> we must look out for different devious forms. There's several different thing, false te- uh, de- teachings out there that undermine the grace of God in Christ Jesus. 
that are very attractive to Christians because they give motivations for seeking holiness, but not gospel motivations, such as the federal vision or the new perspective on Paul or we've mentioned theonomy and reconstructionism. Or some sort of, and this afflicts a lot of us men, some sort of version of manhood that has little to do with godliness but has everything to do with muscles and toughness. All of those things are devious and can undermine the gospel. In the first two, in Federal Vision and the New Perspective on Paul, in different ways, they would argue that while Christ died for our sins, there are works that we must do to qualify us for final entrance. In theonomy and reconstructionism, what happens is the gospel becomes nothing more than a servant of, of social and cultural revolution. The next element, he says, is we must be sure that no poisonous root springs up among you and poisons many. Here we see root of bitterness or bitter root. I used to read this actually in terms of speaking of be sure that it would be be sure that no bitterness towards other people springs up among yourselves or lack of forgiveness. I would say that that's there, but is a fruit of what we would call the bitter root. Those are fruits of a bitter and poisonous root. This is actually an adaptation of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 17 and 18. Deuteronomy 29, verses 17 and 18. He says, And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which are among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. That's a, he's actually harnessing Deuteronomy 29, verses 17 and 18. And of what is he warning in Deuteronomy 29 there? He's warning about turning away from the Lord our God to serve false gods, to turn away from the truth that he has revealed, to turn away from Christ, to turn away to ourselves, which when we turn to ourselves, it's false gods. And even in the context of when Hebrews was written, to turn away from Christ and to turn back to the Mosaic sacrifices was to turn to a covenant that is no longer in force and thus to turn, since Christ had come, to what is now a false religion. To turn back to the old sacrificial system, something that could not save. So what is the poison against which we are warned? What is the root of all of these things? It is unbelief. Not believing and trusting in God's promises and the God who keeps those promises. I remember I thought the question was actually kind of odd, but I was part of a panel in India in 2000, the year 2000. And we were asked as part of this panel, why is it wrong for unbelievers to be offered the opportunity to teach Sunday school in church? Now, this was a church that had been around for about 100 years and was actually on its way to embracing theological liberalism. And we were invited there by an America, uh, uh, a native of the area who had come to the U.S. to go to seminary. And he asked us if we could go because they wouldn't listen to him because he was one of them. He, but they might listen to an outsider. So he asked us to go and do some teaching. And so we were asked, why is it wrong to uh, offer teaching um, a teaching post to an unbeliever in church because they had wealthy benefactors and they were offered offices and teaching positions in the church, even if they were unbelievers because they had earned the honor because they had established themselves in the community and they had done all sorts of good things. (coughs) But one member of the panel who answered that, he says, because they only offer one thing for you, poison. When it comes to our spiritual life, That's what they offer, is poison. 
the poison of unbelief. <clears throat> Those th- that doesn't mean that we can learn that there's nothing we can learn from unbelievers. For God has given us common grace. I mean, I think I, I've learned math from some very smart people who were atheists. Now, that's a common grace. That had, math really has nothing to do with my spiritual life. Except unless I'm doing math, I do it well. To the best of my ability. <clears throat> so we must ensure that we are not eating poison. Those things which undermine the gospel and can lead someone away from the grace of God are those things which lead to poisonous roots that rot and that can spread. Because in each one of these four, we actually have a cascading thing. It's, a, it's cascading. It's building on one another. It starts with falling away from grace. And then there is a poisonous root. And then there's sexual immorality. And then there's godlessness. Consider... <clears throat> Consider a forest. One infected tree, depending upon the infection, can destroy an entire forest, give it time. Given time. A friend of mine owns some acreage in East Texas, in a place that's about halfway between Dallas and Houston, conveniently called Centerville, because it's halfway between Dallas and Houston. And he, I went there to visit him one time, and he, in the evening, he said, listen, and I was listening, and I heard what sounded like sawing. And he said, and he said, you hear that sound? It's only a matter of time before all these trees are gone. I said, why? He said, because those are called wood, the, the, the sound is from something called wood beetles. And they eat the wood, and they'll rot the whole forest, give it, given time. <clears throat> So in the teaching of the church, that is why the elders of a church must guard the confession of faith. We must guard what we understand the Bible to say and be willing to amend it according to what the Bible says. There, while there's room for exception among membership and even among elders to a certain degree, they are not to become matters of dissension or agitation for that spreads poison the poison of dissension. There are teachings which, although they are not uh, the type of heresy that I would say you're not a brother in and of themselves, can undermine the gospel if followed to their logical end and lead to denial of the gospel and unbelief. Again, I count many a hold to some of these as my brothers and sisters in Christ. A church's teaching standard must be tight enough to exclude them as acceptable teaching within the church even while acknowledging the brotherhood of those who would hold to such things, like Arminianism would be one. Another one would be tinkering with the Trinity to support the Bible's teaching on marriage and church leadership. That is, you know, the Bible says that men are to be the spiritual head of their households, and it is qualified men, not just men, but qualified men who are to hold the offices in the church. There's been those who have tinkered with the Trinity to say that within the Godhead, according to itself, that there is a subordination in the Godhead. And thus, because there's subordination in the Godhead, there's subordination in humanity. But that totally tinkers with the Trinity. Systems of reading the Bible that undermine the distinction between law and gospel. Both are good. When I say there's a distinction between law and gospel, it doesn't mean law is bad and gospel is good. They're both good because they're both from God. But only one can bring about salvation. That's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, one example of that would be something a very, uh, that was pretty much the standard of the 20th century. If you were a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, you were one of these, and that's dispensationalism. Now, again, I count my dispensational brothers as brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we were to follow that to its logical end, could end up undermining the gospel. Even, even dispensations could be a member of our church. Just because I say that doesn't mean they can't be part of our church. <clears throat> and I've, I mentioned earlier the above-mentioned errors that uh, mess up justification. And I say they can be brothers because it's not the formula, it's not the language we use, but the whether or not we actually trust Christ. 
there are folks who truly trust Christ but don't express what that means well. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4 says, As I urged you, also additionally you know this teaching standard, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, (coughs) excuse me, that is by faith. Notice here also in Titus 3, 9 and 10, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Notice the relation in these of those who chase after endless myths myths and endless genealogies and foolish controversies, that things that may be interesting to think about, but really are not matters of truth and error in the life of the church. It's been said that there's not that there's not a conspiracy theory or foolish controversy to which modern evangelicals haven't been attracted. Such focusing on such things can take our eyes off the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the elders must be held to a high standard to ensure that we're teaching, focusing on truth. And we must hold one another to that. We must watch out for ourselves so we can watch one another. And again, what are we consuming? Remember when we looked at Psalm 37. Do not fret about the evildoers. We see evil all around us. It's always been true for Christians. Different, different kinds of evil in different ways all around us. We must not be consuming that which breeds fear and anxiety. We can be fretful and fearful and anxious about things that pertain to truth and error. We have a problem when we're doing that. And those things can take our eyes off of Christ and lead towards unbelief if we dwell on those things. There are things that demonstrate and can also lead to such poison. With the bitter root, think of bitterness and unforgiveness. What happens when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness? What are we forgetting? We're forgetting the great gift that we've been given in the forgiveness of our own sin. We're taking our eyes off of Christ. Or if we turn Christianity into nothing more than a servant of cultural issues, we're taking our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Or dwelling on foolish controversies instead of that which is true and certain for us in Christ. We're making matters of the liberty of con- that are matters for liberty of conscience. <clears throat> I'll mention some of those matters of Christian essentials, confusing the law and the gospel, or ratcheting up a little bit, cherishing or hiding sin instead of confessing in it and delighting in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. R. Kent Hughes says the cha- the unchanging truth is. We can have no need that outstrips God's grace, and we never will. Even if we fall into deep sin, greater grace is available, as Paul said. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's not a license to do what we want. It is a license to say, I have sin. I'm going to let, I'm not going to pretend that it's not there. Nor am I going to continue cherishing it. But I'm going to lay it before God and seek the help of my brothers and sisters as needed so we can keep our eyes on Christ Jesus. Another way we can do that, and this is one that may come in the veil of righteousness, but it is also actually the mother doing this, is the mother of every major heresy that's creeped up in the history of Christianity. And that is reading the Bible as if we are the first ones to ever read it. Reading it in isolation from anyone else. That is, 
I'm just I'm going to pr- pretend no one else has ever read the Bible and I'm just going to read the Bible and not uh, think about anything anyone else has said. The greatest heresies in the history of Christianity has happened have happened because people did just that. Arius, for instance, <coughs> ignored teaching on Christ Jesus, who is God, according to as the second person of the Trinity. They said, I'm just I'm going to pretend that doesn't exist and I'm just going to read it without reference to that. And so he stitched together Proverbs one about wisdom being a creation of God and Ephesians 1.31 that says that uh, Christ Jesus become for us wisdom from God said, see, he's a creation. We need help reading the Bible. Jude 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Faith was delivered once for all to the saints. We read it with the saints. Not that the, not that, uh, the church hierarchy determines that which the Bible is and what the Bible says, but we read it with the saints of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. It is the church, church's job to uphold, uphold uh, the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not me privately who does that, but it is the church of Jesus Christ who's been get, who has been, to whom that has been entrusted. And by the church, I don't mean some sort of a hierarchical organization. I mean the people of God collectively in each individual gospel church. We are the heralds of the truth, and we need one another to properly understand the Bible. So, brothers and sisters, in closing, indeed, pursue holiness, the holiness without which any, no one will see the Lord, and peace with all men. And do that, seeing to it, at the foundation of it, that none of us falls short of the grace of God. And that none of us, and that there's no root, bitter roots springing up in us and among us. Let us hold to Christ. And next week, we'll, next week we'll be looking at the next two, sexual immorality and godlessness. Which, that's not speaking of Esau as both the sexual immoral and godless. It's speaking of two different, two different categories there. But let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope and our life. We pray, our Father, that you would... Keep us holding on to that, that we might grow in Christ Jesus and indeed truly pursue sanctification. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.